Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, all is well here in the shed. Good stuff. Similarly well here in Swansea. It's not raining on us, so we'll take that. It is glorious here. I'm in my shorts and t-shirt and it's lovely and toasty. (laughs) Well, I just got back from holiday. I've been in Mallorca for a week, so through the magic of podcasting, we managed to get a show out last Monday. But I have just come back from 32 degree heat, so this is odd for me to be out of shorts. Wow. So, a little bit of follow-up. I think we left you some homework to look into the new PlayStation tiers. Yeah, so I've gone away. I've had a look at the PlayStation tiers, and I think I'm struggling a little bit because... I'm normally all for buying the biggest, bestest thing I can see. And I don't really understand the benefits of the PlayStation tiers. So I've already got the the essential plan. And they've done a bit of an Apple One here. They've called it PlayStation Plus. And then there's three tiers. So you've got the essential plan, which is basically what you used to get before. You've then got the extra plan, which is in the middle, and then the premium plan. And I don't really know what to say. The essential one literally is your monthly games, being able to play online, you know, do your cloud saves. That all seems okay. And you get some discounts. And I have used the monthly games. I've downloaded a few of those. And I have used the the discounts if there's one applicable to a game. So, So I'm quite happy staying on my current tier. You then look at the next tier. And on top, you get a game catalog and some Ubisoft Plus Plus classics. And and I'll I'll go into the game catalog in a minute. And then in the premium one, you get all of that. Plus, you get some trials of games. But it's a bit weird. You've got to buy the top tier to get trials. Surely you should be giving me a demo at every tier level so I can try them out. I don't know. And then you get a classics catalog, which I'm not really fussed about. That's all the cloud streaming stuff. And then, and that is part of cloud streaming as well on top. So you can stream your games. So I just not really feeling it, if I'm honest. It just, I don't know. What do you think? Well, what's the price differential between them then? So I think it's like 80 quid a year or just under that for what was the, what you described to begin with, which was the two to three games a month. You know, you get the odd discounted thing that was going on and you could have your cloud saves and, and all the rest of it. So that's 50 pounds. Yeah. And then the extra one is eighty three ninety nine, and then premium is ninety nine ninety nine. So the premium one is double, and I'm struggling to see that I would get double the value. Now maybe I'm missing something, but for me, I just couldn't see what was really in there that you know would re- I'd really want and get excited by. Yeah, my brief look at it, I kind of came at the same conclusion. I felt no desire to go off the two or three games a month that I was getting now. Looking at the back catalogue, I thought, fair enough. I've, but I've got quite a lot of those already. If I, if I hadn't had a PlayStation for a while, or I hadn't just recently bought a PS5, then I might want Uncharted. I might want Spider-Man. I might want... Well, I definitely want Returnal. If you've got a PS5 and not got Returnal, you should sort that out. But you could buy that anyway, frankly. You know, For, the, for, for buying it probably a lot cheaper now, paying the extra for it doesn't seem worth it. And then you touched on it there the streaming stuff for older catalogue things. So I presume that's things like Gran Turismo 2 or Tekken 4 or something like that, something from the play- Wipeout from the PlayStation's history. I don't want that kind of game on the PS5. I want a 120 hertz, all singing, all dancing, 4K game. I don't I don't want to look at that, really, particularly on a PlayStation. I'm exactly there. So I had a browse through the games catalogue. I saw maybe one or two titles. I wouldn't mind to have a go on. Like, I wouldn't mind to try Red Dead redemption 2 but you can pick that up cheap enough it just wasn't really much pulling me in so i don't know i'm kind of a bit on it which is a shame because they needed to do something microsoft have told them they've shown them what to do and all playstation had to do was replicate and i just i don't think they've got it but then i guess 
you know, £99 a year is less than £10 a month. So the pricing is pretty decent. Yeah, so Xbox Live, Xbox Games Pass, sorry, is ten ninety nine a month. And for that, you get breaking releases on the day they came out. So we talked about Sniper Elite 5 last week. That was the day it came out. It was freely accessible for me to, to play on the Xbox. The same with Forza Horizon 5. You know, the day they came out, they're there. And if Sony aren't offering that kind of competition to Xbox Game Pass, that's a real problem for them, actually, because the console, it's, it's a great console. Don't get me wrong. I think it's significantly better than the PlayStation 4. I think the controller is significantly better than what we've had before, particularly with the adaptive triggers. But if what we're doing these days is renting games, and let's face it, that's what this is. It's renting games rather than buying them anymore. Xbox is a better proposition. It is a better proposition. I can play Sniper Elite 4. And if I get the Classics bundle, I can play Sniper Elite 2. But why would you want to when there's Sniper Elite 5? (laughs) Unless you've got some nostalgia, and I do get the whole nostalgia thing, because I play quite a lot of games for, for the nostalgia. I'm just, I don't know, I'm struggling to see the benefits of it. If I want to play a nostalgia game now, I actually want to play the remastered game. Like, I've played a bit of Quake, which has been remastered. I'm playing a bit of Commander Conquer, it's been remastered. I don't really want to go and play the really pixely version that was just like it was on a PlayStation 5 on a 65-inch TV. If you're going to go for full nostalgia, you might as well get a CRT in the actual console. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, no, no, I 100% agree with you. I think that we're sort of on the same page here with this. And uh, Microsoft have got this sorted out, as we say, about the new and exclusive things. You know, if the new EA game comes, EA game comes along, be that Red Dead Redemption Two or be that I don't know Star Wars Rogue Squadron or something, it's their day and date. And if I've got to get up to the hundred quid a month to have that, you know, a month later or two months later or whenever they actually choose to release it, that's a real problem, I think. So yeah, not very compelling. You have you've you've done a good job of researching it, but not a great job of selling it. No, it's not compelling. And I'm sure at some point I I might well try it out because what I did like is if you choose to upgrade now. It will just upgrade you to the end of your subscription. I pay for a year up front. So I may well give it a go if it was like 20 quid to upgrade or something. Just so I can go and dip my toe in the water. Because there are a couple of games I wouldn't mind to have a go. And if I just had it for a couple of months, I'd probably be all right with that. What happens if you go back then? So I know if you stop paying for the current tier, you'll lose the game. Well, you keep the games uh, as long as your tier is active. If you stop paying the tier, you'll lose the games that have been delivered to you during that period. Yeah, I don't know. Because there's a, there's, a, that's some research. there's a difference between stopping paying altogether and losing access to it as opposed to just dropping down a tier. The games that were available to you then are just not available, whereas the ones that would have been... That, that's a complex situation, I think. Yeah, I've no idea what happens. But look, I'm, 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 I might well try it out for science and, and spend the 20 quid and, and give it a go. Fair enough. Good. No, that's good feedback and interesting. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit of feedback as well. What isn't strictly speaking homework, but on our sort of continuing path through the use of the betas and and the various systems i thought i'd try out the medication app so i've got a couple of vitamins and things like that that i i'd like to take regularly so i thought i'd try and set them up within the medication app in beta 2 on the iphone i think it's on the watch as well but i I hadn't installed the beta on my watch so i wasn't going to look into that so fired up the health app you can look for medications in there and you can go to add one and i and you know i'll put my put the cart before the horse and sort of give the punchline away that i'm not that impressed in some ways and quite impressed in others in the sense that when you put in a medication, there's no lookups. You just need to free text it into a box. Now, I think in America, it will scan the label of the box that you're looking at. But that seems really, really bad to me in the sense that what you want when they advertise this as having interactions and looking at other drugs and things, 
surely you want the exact name of the drug as the way that it is in the formula really that it's looking, being looked up in, so it can calculate those interactions. And that, again, may just be a, an agreement with the local provider of, of, of medications within a healthcare system, so MHRA in the UK, FDA in, in, in the US. But it seems really bad to me that you just free text in what you like. And, and so that was my sort of initial reservation with it. Sounds a bit like when you do calorie counting on some some apps, you can scan the barcode, get the exact match, and you know it's 350 calories for this bacon sandwich. Other times you can kind of type it in and guess, and it's it's just nowhere near as good, is it? I wonder why they then brought it out in this country before they maybe got the approvals, or is it just a beta thing? It could just be a beta thing. So it's not fair to judge a beta. So, but again, I'm just giving a little bit of feedback. I didn't think that was great. One thing I did quite like afterwards was you can then go on, and it, I presume it knows this if you can scan the package, is you can give a pill color and a pill shape. So if you've got a, you know, if, if you're using one of these boxes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where you get seven or eight things in each one, you can identify which pill is by the color and the shape of it and the size of it within that. So I thought that was quite a nice touch that, you know, it's dispersible, it's a tablet, it comes, and you can set a dosage. And then the last bit I've got a reservation about is if you put it in and you say, I want to be reminded at 8.15 for this, it time zone adjusts. So if you go to the new time zone, it goes, so an hour ahead, in my case, when I was in Europe, suddenly I was taking them an hour later than I had been. Now, if you're trying to take them on a 24-hour rolling basis, I guess if you move to that country for an extended period of time, you might want to know that. But I also suspect, to begin with at least, most people want to keep their 24- or 40-hour weekly medications within the sort of same space that they were doing it. So I'm not sure about that decision. I'm so I could be swayed either way with whether it's good or bad. Let me get my head around this. So time zone adjusts. So you you go forward an hour to a different country yep. from here, and... Instead of it telling you to take your medication at quarter past eight in the morning, it's telling you to take it at quarter past nine, nine in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not sure. No, it, I'm, I'm not sure either. The jury's out on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I can see the logic because ultimately it should be, but it just it felt a bit wrong to me. But again, it's a beta. Maybe it'll change. But yeah, so pros and cons. And then it does work. You know, it, it pops up a reminder going, have you taken them? You can, if you take more than one at a time, then you can tick them and it'll say, I took this and took this. And then remind you, if you take another one at a different time of day. So I think for science, it's quite an interesting thing. And I, I, I could see people who are forgetful if they have taken them or not, or you've got relatives that are forgetful if they've taken them or not then it's quite a powerful thing. But, you know, hand on heart, it's a beta. It's not fair to judge it in any great depth. I just thought it was interesting feedback to give at this point. We should also put a disclaimer on the show. Neither of us are doctors. No, not doctors, but, you know, as people... You've got a nurse, though, and you know, or you have been in a previous life, and you know a lot more about medicine than me, but I'm nowhere near the medical professions to take no Well, no, no, no. I mean, at the end of the day, you should always uh, follow the advice of your doctor or pharmacist or qualified person to do so. All we're giving feedback on is an application that isn't finished yet. So I, I don't feel like we've crossed any boundaries here by saying do something that shouldn't. And absolutely don't rely solely on an app on your iPhone. <laughs> Remember, you've taken everything. Can, can you use it to track, say, we, you know, I take paracetamol when I have a headache. Could I say I took two paracetamol at six o'clock? And because sometimes I'll take paracetamol and then I, I think, oh, when did I last take my paracetamol? I can't remember. And so I often set a time on my watch for four hours because if I've got a really bad headache, then I know when I can go again. My instinct would be yes, but that's a use case I will try out. I'll I'll see if you can do that. So that's a little bit of follow-up on me. Is, uh, But it's just tracking because I would like to look back at how many times have I taken paracetamols this month because I've probably taken too many, you know, because I get a lot of headaches. And yeah. it'd be interesting to track my headache trends and stuff. 
Yeah, so I mean, that kind of functionality is kind of already in, in the health app in a number of ways. So for example, alcohol. You, could, you can go in and you can record number of units of alcohol taken on a particular night. And you can go back and look at your graph if you want to. I wonder how many people do that. You know, you've got to remember to do it. And again, it's not very clever. You can't say I had a gin and tonic with this many mils and I'll calculate how many units of alcohol you had. You had to say, uh, you know, I know I had a pint. I know that's four units of, of alcohol and you need to be honest and put that in. But you can do that now. So I suspect the similar is possible in the medication app, but I will go and have a look. I wonder if they're going to do calorie counting. I suspect you probably can. And a lot of apps integrate with the health app already. And, you know, without going too far off topic, I know there's been a lot of controversy in uh, America following the rule versus Wade sort of repeal about the period count, uh, period tracking apps and the fact the data in that now needs to be anonymized or hidden from the various cloud providers that host them. So all this stuff that seems quite innocuous on the surface has repercussions well down the line. Yes, well, A, I don't agree with that ruling, and B, the world is bonkers. Yeah, the world is particularly bonkers. I don't think we want to dig too deep into it on a, on a podcast, but I 100% agree with both things that you just said. And moving swiftly along. My last bit of homework, I think, was about the TV. We talked a little bit about that last episode. Obviously, I've been on holiday, so I haven't purchased a TV yet. I do plan to next week, and I will feedback more on that when I do. Are you waiting for Prime Day for you, Bajig? I kind of am. I kind of am. I want to see. There's there's a couple of deals around between John Lewis and Amazon, but I thought I'd wait and see because you never know. You quite often on big ticket items like that get some decent discounts. I'm gutted because the Eero base station we spoke about the other week, they've now discounted by another 20 quid. I, I already had 40 quid off it and now they've, they've in essence half the price. I was debating buying a couple more. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth waiting for Prime Day, I think, particularly if it's an Amazon-owned brand device. I don't think anybody should buy a, an Echo at this point at all, but why would you buy something, an Amazon-branded thing, without waiting? Said the man that bought a Kindle, but without waiting for Prime Day, really. My brother's wife's birthday is this week, and I saw you should get her a Kindle. She's an avid reader. And I was like, but the following week it will be, <laughs> be on sale because it's Prime Day. Yeah, quick bit of feedback on that. The current generation Kindle Paperwhite with the warm lighting is great. I thoroughly enjoyed reading books and I did four over the course of holiday. Sat by the pool. What a great, easy thing to read. Very reliable, very quick. Did go a bit odd on the Wi-Fi at one point in the, in the in the place we were staying. They decided it couldn't connect anymore. But by that point, I downloaded my books anyway, so it was no big deal. I just wanted to browse to see what was available by the same author. And that went. But no, great. Excellent device. How did you find not having hardware buttons? Because I've got the Oasis with the hardware buttons. It doesn't bother me. I mean, an earlier generation of Kindle I've got has got the hardware buttons. One of the very first ones, I think. I think it's still got a keyboard, in fact. I'm tentatively reaching for it here, so hopefully I'm not making too many noises on the microphone as I go. So if it's got a keyboard, it's got all the buttons. Yeah, that's that's so that's the old one I'm, I'm, I'm talking about here. You know, Wow, <laughs> look at that. They haven't changed their design very much or their interface. They haven't, but this, so I don't know what, exactly what generation this is. I'll try it, maybe take a picture and put it in the, in, the, in the podcast notes, actually. But this has not only got a keyboard, it has page backwards and forwards buttons on both sides of the screen. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd design on the Oasis. I do like the Oasis. It's a really nice bit of kit, but it's so expensive and it doesn't do USB-C. And I think your Paperwhite does to USB-C because my son's got one and it is, it's nice. It does do USB-C and, and it's great to see it. It was one less thing to pack on this trip. A very, also quick aside, we took delivery of two Rode Wireless Go 2 microphones at work today, which are lapel mics. It's two remotes, so you can record two speakers at the same time and a receiver that goes onto the camera, so it wirelessly broadcasts to it. All three of these little devices are USB-C. And that's what you want to see. Even even at that point, they're thinking ahead and they're doing yeah. it. So I was really impressed. Everything needs to be USB-C. Just do it. It does. And in fact, I think while while we're 
not recording, yet another country, Brazil, came out and said that they wanted USB-C on all their devices going forward as well, which should be in the news section really, but I think it was, it was a small story, we might have passed over it, but yeah, it, it's, it's coming. You kind of need a law of all devices should have a minimum of a USB-C connector, but if you want to put something better on it, crack on. Yeah, but at the moment there's nothing better, is there? I don't think. No, there isn't. Well, no. that's any Thunderbolt, isn't it, in essence? It is, it is. Okay, I think that's good for follow-up. We've got a little more homework to do for next week. I've got to look into, in, in my medical notation, PRN medications, medications that can be taken as required. And we'll maybe on a TV as well. We'll see how we go. And I've got no homework. Get in. I don't know that you don't have homework. What about, well, we might touch on it in gaming, Apex Legends and Game Center. How do we meet up in Apex Legends and Game Center? Oh, yeah, we, we meant to do that, weren't we? But you were away. That's a good point. Yeah, so that's your follow-up for next week is to see if you can figure out how to add someone in Game Center to play a game. I can, but try. Okay. Right, should we go into rumors and news? Let's go into rumors and news. And I think the very first story is yours. Oh, yeah, I just popped this in because they were talking about the Apple Watch Series 8 might feature a body temperature monitor. Not the most accurate, according to the rumours, but it still might feature it. So I'm interested. Part of me thinks, great. Anything you can stick in my wrist that tells me if I'm if I'm doing all right or if I'm not. But then I was thinking, well, if it's not that accurate, is it going to be of any use? So I wondered how they market it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a factor of all the sensors they've got on the Apple Watch, though, isn't it, really? You know, we've got what have we got on the Series 7 that I've got now. I've got oxygen saturations, which I'm told isn't terribly accurate. We've got a heart rate monitor, which is reasonably accurate, I think. Not 100% accurate, but pretty damn good. I mean, certainly the life-saving stuff that it's done for atrial fibrillation and, and high heart rates and things like that is good enough. We've got a compass. and Is that pretty much it for... We've got an altimeter, haven't we? We've got height, height, sense, height and pressure indicator as well. So that's what we've got. So SAT's not very accurate. Adding in a slightly inaccurate thermometer to it, not necessarily a bad thing. I guess you're limited with what you can do off the wrist. By the way, I've got the Series 6, and I can do all the same things. I don't think they added anything in the Series 7, so we must be due something. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take a temperature back in my nursery days off somebody's wrist. You know, you want somewhere core to take a temperature. You want forehead or under the arm or, or oral or other avenues are available as well, obviously. But that's how you get an accurate temperature reading. What's the view on the ear ones? Because we used to use one of those with the children. Ear's pretty good. Again, as close to the center of your body as you can get is good. Fevers and things for kids, you know, they're not going to tolerate oral things. They can get bitten through in the old days, the old mercury thermometers and things like that as well. That they're Even as intensive care, we used in-ear thermometers a lot of the time. So yeah, more than good enough. I had completely forgotten about a traditional mercury thermometer because I haven't seen one in such a long time. <laughs> when I graduated as a nurse, I got a little gift pack from one of the other nurses that I was working with. I got my pen torch for, for doing a response. I got a pen for writing and I got a mercury thermometer to put under somebody's tongue, which is the least hygienic thing in the world you could think about to go around between patients. And back in the day, they used to rest on beds behind patients and sort of spirits. So you'd take the temperature and you'd stick it in this pot at the back of the bed so it would sort of slightly disinfect between patients. Thankfully, we've moved on from that. It's not what you want in a, in a COVID world, is it? It's definitely not. And the, the oral, AU oral ones, are, are, are very good. The, I don't know what the home ones are like, but certainly the in-hospital ones come with little plastic covers that go over the, the sensor. You put, it, you put a fresh one on, you put it in someone's ear, you take a temperature, you pop it off, and you get a fresh one, and off you go. Exactly that. And they, I don't think they cost a huge amount 
10 years ago when we bought one so they, they probably it's probably something that's got cheap over time unless it's got lots of chips in it that are rare and sought after of course we're single-use plastic there so you know there, there is a there is a little thought yeah, to be made great. about the plastic waste that comes from stuff like that yeah hopefully they're not using it all the time anyway i think it's interesting that they are looking to add more sensors it makes sense to i'm sure i saw another report this week about there potentially being thermometers in the next generation of airpods pro or certainly heart rate sensors as well and that might make more sense i nearly put that rumor in but it said one room said yes, one room said no, and uh, I don't know where we're at with that. But there's clearly more they're going to do in that space. Yeah, it's it's ripe for it. If you're going to have these kinds of things attached to people's bodies around their necks or as wrists, uh, as bracelets or whatever, then yeah, make as many much use of it as you can because it is genuinely useful to have that data tan. Again, with my research hat on. But just for us in our everyday life to be able to monitor how many steps we're taking, what our temperature is. In the, these days of COVID, I think even a slightly rubbish stats monitor is better than none at all. Yeah, true, true. Good. Okay, so moving on. Next up, I put this in. I thought you'd be interested in it because we were talking about monitors quite recently. So Sony's released a new 27-inch gaming monitor. It's their part of their in-zone brand, which I hadn't heard of until I saw this. So they've done a new brand, which is about gaming. So it's Sony's in-zone. They haven't called it PlayStation, which because I guess they're trying to make this monitor and the brand work not only for PlayStation, but if you want to play on your PC or what have you, they want a separate brand that spans both their own platforms and others. So the InZone 27-inch monitor is 144 refresh rate hertz, two, HDMI 2.1, 4K, and it does variable refresh rate. So I was just trying to think what VRR was. And it comes in at £999, which seems a lot of money. And then I was looked over at my studio display and thought actually i could have bought that and had 500 quid left over so i was not as scared by the price as i thought it might be no i think actually for what the specs you're guessing and i think the critical ones are 4k on 144 hertz here because that is a, a huge thing to get if you looked at most monitors that are 4k monitors you're lucky if they get 60 hertz so you know the samsung i think it's also an m9 or an m8 actually so confusing mm. again that threw me because when I first saw the M and then the number, I was like, well, that sounds a bit like what Samsung are doing. I get it's monitor, but I don't know. It seems yeah. a bit odd. So I, I agree with you. That's that's a decent proposition for a gaming monitor. You want 144 hertz. It does 4K. Only one, I'm looking at the specs here as well, only one HDMI 2.1 port on it. The other one's a 1.4. So you're only going to be able to feed one device to get that high, high refresh rate. So if you've got a gaming PC... And PlayStation Five, you know, you're in competition there for which one is going to be. On. But I get, I suspect that's not what this is for. This is for the gaming PC, or this is for the PlayStation. So you can just connect it up, high refresh rate, and off you go at 4K. Yeah, and they're also doing an M3 variant, which is not not 4K, but for UHD, I think, if I remember correctly, and that comes in about five hundred dollars. So it's a slight cheaper variant. But so it's interesting they've they've dropped two gaming monitors out straight out of the gates. I think they look quite good. I'd certainly be interested in this because people like myself, if you want to game a little bit and maybe you do want it plugged up to your work PC, but be able to maybe, you know, flick over to your your gaming in the evening, but you haven't got the space, you know, it it could work in the home home market, you know, where maybe your partner doesn't want the PlayStation on the big telly or something. So I can see the benefits of it. No, if I was looking for another monitor again, and I always have got half an eye on it, this is definitely something I'd consider because 4K is a minimum. I want a high refresh rate these days because the games I play support a high refresh rate. And in fast first-person shooters, it actually gives you a slight advantage to have that too. And let's face it, if you've got the console or the PC or the gaming rig that supports it, 
you want to get what you can out of it. The other one, the cheaper one, the M3, is a 240Hz refresh rate, so it's an even faster refresh rate, and notice even Sony can't push that up to 4K. I think it's it's sorry, 1440p or, to, or 1080p. Yeah, it's 1080p, that one. Yeah, so... so. Yeah, these fast panels don't work well at 4K because it's a lot of pixels to shove around. And when you realize it's a lot of pixels to shove around, it's no surprise, really, that Apple's displays only support 60 hertz. Yeah, I'm not surprised. For me, 4K is a minimum because I've got so used to have all my screens in 4K, so you just get used to that quality. Yeah, interesting. I think it's worth keeping an eye. I wonder, I suspect the demand for this might be quite high because, as we've said, it's a lot of money for a screen. But then, if you look at most 4K screens, you know, the LG UltraSharp and things like that, are all in the 700-800 pounds bracket. So it's actually not outside the ballpark for what you'd expect to see here. For a quality panel, it is pretty good. Right, so one thing just to note, though, it's on pre-order now on Amazon, so it actually comes up on the 18th of August. I think it looks good. But the thing I, I do wonder, so this, this screen costs £1,000. Why would you buy, say you were buying a, a, a TV like you are, why would you buy this over a TV? So, say a 55 inch or a 65 inch is, say, 1500 pounds. What makes this better? It's a lot of money. You're, you're like two thirds of the cost for a big TV for a third the size. I don't have a clever answer for that. I've seen a lot of reviews on YouTube of the generation after the TV I'm considering, the, the LG C2, one who, people who want to use a 42 inch TV as a monitor because it has got these kinds of specs. And it's about this price. I think it's two or 300 quid more. So, all right, it's 42 inch, so it's bigger than this screen. It's the same refresh rate as this screen. It's actually a TV, so you can do things like picture in picture and watch all the rest of it. It has more than one HDMI 1.2 input on it, uh, 2.1 input on it. So I think this is for people who really want a monitor on their desk. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. And you, you just got to pay. There's a base level to getting these kind of features, and it's about £1,000 at the moment. Yeah, Okay. It is. Because yeah. I've always wondered that when I've bought screens, I was like, oh, should I just go and get a big telly? But I wouldn't want to use a big TV as my monitor because I, I don't think that would be very practical. Well, I mean, this one, this 32-inch, 35-inch, I forget now looking at it. If you have got things and you're tracking from the bottom left side to the top right side, it's quite a long way to look. You know, and on a 42-inch TV, it's going to be even worse. You're certainly building your neck muscles there. You are. And this isn't quite so bad because it's curved. This monitor we're talking about isn't curved. The TVs generally, that we've gone past that. You don't get curved TVs at home anymore. So it's even more. Curved in 3D, finally, it seems to have gone. Yeah, until the PSVR 2 comes out. But for, yeah, 3D is not a thing that anyone should ever have accepted ever. So yeah. Agreed. Right, moving on then. So just briefly, Apple hardware. So the MacBook Air M2 still hasn't been announced. There was a bit of rumor on Friday that it might be, but... I'm sure Apple would put a press release out saying you can pre-order from this date, which is what they did with the M2 MacBook Pro. And then secondly, I put a link in just because the Mac Studio is now available refurb in the UK. And I believe in the US as well. And if you're after one and you want to save 200 quid, it's a great way of doing it. Well, maybe you've got a chance of actually getting one as well. That's probably the thing. I wonder why they're coming back so quickly. It's rare you get a refurb quite that quickly from a product that you can't just go and buy. Yeah, I kind of thought that. I thought it's odd that they've appeared on the refurb quickly but like you say that's a great way of buying it and for anybody out there i think the refurb is a great place to buy stuff it, for, especially from apple the kit comes pretty much as new it comes in a white box rather than one with a picture on it all you do is put that in the loft but the batteries and everything are all, all reconditioned or they're fresh and they they do such a good job with it it's like buying a new product 
it's definitely worth it to save 10 percent. yeah i agree the refurb zone you and i have both bought a number of laptops and devices off over the years and it, it's a great thing you get the same apple warranties as they do with a new one fair enough somebody else has opened it and sent it back for whatever reason uh, the the thought was quite a lot of them were actually from apple stores and they got taken off the shelves and put into these boxes so they were effectively new once they'd been cleaned i'm, lo I'm looking yeah. at it now sorry chris go no, I was going to say the same. The kit is in such good nick. And like I say, you save 10%, so it's, it's definitely worth it. You do. I'm looking at it now, and there isn't a single Apple Silicon device on the refurb zone. No one. I'm sure when people click on the link, it changes every day. If you remember, you used to have to go in every day at 9 o'clock to get the updates to, to see if the thing you were waiting for on refurb would become available yet. I remember ordering my iMac G5 17-inch, and I ordered it on the refurb, and this was back in the day when you might get a few free extras. And mine turned up with... I think Bluetooth and a Wi-Fi card in it. Was, there were a couple of things or more RAM. I couldn't believe my luck because you still paid the same price as the base model. But I think it's good to see. And sometimes you do get some different models on the refurb that aren't just stock, if that makes sense, like the, the default configurations. Interestingly, when I looked, they'd sold out of a few models, but not the base one because the base one is a bit rubbish because it only comes with half a terabyte. I think that's quite small for a Mac these days. They should have a minimum of a terabyte. For £2,000, you should have a minimum of a terabyte, in my opinion. I don't disagree. I'm, I'm sitting smiling to myself here looking at a refurbished 27-inch iMac, 3.3, 6-core, Core i5 with a 5 gig, £3,609 for an Intel iMac in this day and age. They should not be selling that. They should not be selling that. You can still get Mac Pro. You can. There's got quite a lot of Mac Pros, up to £9,389 on the refurb zone at the moment. Car or a Mac Pro? Car or a Mac Pro? It's a tricky one. Yeah, that's that's maybe two cars in some places. So yeah, that's it's interesting that there's no Apple Silicon. I think that really shows it's beginning to bite, that people aren't buying the Intel computers anymore. Why would you? Like I said, I offloaded all mine last year when they first came out with the M1s. I'm very happy I offloaded them. They are rubbish. Well, spoiler, I'm recording this on a new computer tonight, and it is a, an Apple Silicon, and no, it's not running a beta, so therefore I'm recording the podcast on it tonight, and it is running flawlessly, silently, and with a beautiful screen looking at me. So I completely agree. There is no reason, unless financial, that you should not be running a, a, an Intel chip at the moment. Completely agree. Should we move on to the M2 MacBook Pro then? Yeah. So I thought this was an interesting story, actually. So I think when it was announced at WWDC, both you and I went, well, that's rubbish, because we didn't get it. And people managed to order them two weeks ago now, I think. It came out on a Friday just after we podcasted. People could go and do it. And they're finally in people's hands, and reviewers have been looking at them, and the general public have been looking at them. And a couple of stories have come to light about them. One of them, I think, is clickbait, but the other one certainly isn't. So my understanding here, from what I've listened to and read, is basically this machine shouldn't exist. Nobody should buy this. But the only reason they've done it is to hit a price point to have the word MacBook Pro hit a certain price point. But yeah, well, I don't know. Well, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's it's not good enough that you've got this computer where they've just bunged in another chip. And the two stories are, one is the M2 Bank Pro throttles. So when it gets over a particular heat level within it, that one user on Twitter, a bit clickbaity, I think, has observed that throttling. So that is, the, ch the chip's too hot, so you actually cut the performance of the chip back in software so the chip can't continue to be that hot, and then it's cooled. Now, the M2 and the M1 MacBook Pro have fans, whereas the MacBook Air didn't, either M1 or M2, not that we've seen any M2 ones. So I found this, this is why I think it's clickbaity. Yeah, there's fans in it, but we didn't observe any throttling at all in the M1, and it's the same chassis, so I don't understand why this slightly better, slightly cooler chip from everything Apple said it would be throttling. So... 
there is one story, and I'll put these links in the show notes, of this user who reckons he's got his chip is uh, M2 MacBook Pro throttling. And another one, just in a, a review that didn't observe any of that. And certainly none of the other reviews I've seen on YouTube, particularly Marcus Brownlee, have talked about the throttling problem. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Because if it is doing it, if it is a genuine thing, we're going to see it across the range. We're going to see it on the MacBook Air when it comes out. And that would be a damn shame, because I thought they were cooler than that. Yeah, unless maybe they're being a bit cautious on the firmware. I don't know. I just don't understand why we're looking at this laptop. It looks dated now. It looks crap in the lineup. I just... There's just no reason for it to be there. Well, I think the answer is, if you're a corporate buyer and you've gone Mac and you you buy the first and cheapest thing with Pro in it, oh, there's a MacBook Pro. It's, what, 500 quid cheaper than the uh, one of the M1 Pros or Ultras or, or higher up the range for the 14-inch? No, it's more, it's more than that. It's more like three or 400 pounds. So it is hitting the price point. But you, the Air, they should just call, make, make an M2 Air Pro <laughs> and do that instead. Yeah, they're not going to do that. And then, the, the, so I, I, we agree. The second story is that if you buy the basest of base models, actually the SSDs in it are slower as well. So they're not making as many reads and writes as quickly as they were in the last generation. Yeah, I saw this as well, and I thought it's a bit, it's a bit rubbish. But then I thought, well, actually, the Apple stuff's so quick anyway. Would you even notice? But it's just, it's just another reason this machine just shouldn't exist. We've talked it to death. We're not the only ones to talk it to death. Don't buy an M2 MacBook Pro 13-inch. Agreed. Good. Okay. I think that'll do us for news and rumors this week. That's It's nice to see the rumors coming back. We've had a couple of weeks with no rumors at all. Now we've had some, so I approve of that. Yeah, no, agreed. It is good. The world is warming up again, I think. I don't know. I, I must confess, I keep looking at the uh, MacBook Air and thinking, can I, can I justify getting an M2 MacBook Air? Just have a go on one. I think you should. But, I think for for science and for the show, you should you should pick one up. The problem is that I wouldn't want any of the base models. There you go. I think I suspect the base MacBook Air is the one most people will buy, so it's most representative of what people will use. And considering I had a fairly base M1 MacBook Pro, not that I'd buy the M2, I bet it's going to be a really good machine, really strong, great chip, very quiet. You know, well, no fans and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but I suspect it'll be a good a good device to have. My wife's got the M1 MacBook Air. It's amazing. And it's the base model. It's fantastic. She's never once gone, oh, it's too slow. She uses a lot of apps, leaves them all open, and has never once complained about it. It is it's a fantastic machine. Yep. Both my kids got them. We've talked about this before. One of them's really intensive graphics user. She's in and out of Photoshop. She's in and out of Illustrator. And it just took literally 200 plus layers in Illustrator large layers as she was doing her sort of fi- her final project for her exam didn't miss a beat great bit of kit yeah fantastic fantastic good right next up moving on to media so i just thought i'd put this in it's something i've been meaning to look at for ages somebody sent me a link to it and i just put in the link to the the art of luca so i didn't realize but disney pixar release books about the art of their films. And you can buy them on Amazon and you get a nice hardback book and not, not a lot of words, just lots of pictures, some of them sketches and inspiration and maybe how a character started off and, and showing maybe how it how it then transformed to the, the final version. And I love the film, Luke. I think I mentioned it before. But it was just really interesting to see. I don't know if this is the gym, but it looked like it in the, in the URL. But the art of Luca is available as a digital book that you can just flick through for free or you can spend about 20 pounds on it on amazon in the uk but it's just a really nice book and i just really like all the style of it the extra you know bits you see about how they how they ended up with the final product and i just thought it was quite interesting and i spent 
I don't know, probably 10 minutes browsing around Amazon today, looking at all the other books you could get, because they do one on light year as well. I just thought it's quite a nice coffee table book. Would go well in my shed down here. Yeah, that's, that's a nice thing. The, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has immediately captured my eye because I think that's one of the most visually stunning films I've seen in years. Just, I don't know if you've watched it, but the various animation styles that are in it and everything, and I would actually be fascinated to see how all that came together. So yeah, I get the appeal. Do you know what I like about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Just, they, they did an animated film differently. And I think that's to be applauded because so many films look very similar in in their aesthetic. And I just thought the way they did it, the Spider-Man film was great because it was good just to see something different. And it was really fresh take. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I, I agree. No, but this is an interesting thing. And I think if you're into animation or you're into drawing or you just love the film an awful lot, if it's official, which I agree with you, as I'm sort of looking around, it does look official. It's great to see where these great artists, because let's face it, they are great artists and entertainers, were inspired from and how that sort of came to pass. So yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I can't draw. I do appreciate nice art, but I, I just think it's great just to see how they've, how they've done some of it for films you really enjoy. Uh, sort of immediate look, look of feedback. So being on holiday, we managed to watch a few films as a family and both my children have seen Luca and I wanted to watch it and they wouldn't let me. They said, it's too boring, Dad. We're not going to watch it again. Love it. Still love it. Fair enough. I have got a little bit of follow-up. I finally watched Turning Red, getting my Pixar shot in the arm in. I thought it was really good. I don't think it's up there with their greats. It's not a WALL-E. We watched WALL-E afterwards, and that reminded me what a wonderful film WALL-E is for lots and lots of reasons, particularly as the Fantastic. planet gets warmer. It's, it's all looking a bit prescient at the moment, actually. And and everybody just buys everything and disposes of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lessons in WALL-E. What a lovely film. Turning Red was perfectly fine. Don't get me wrong. It was a, a very entertaining kids film. And I'm sure you said your kids weren't bothered when they first watched it, but then went back and watched it again and sort of enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought when we first watched it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure they're going to be into it. And they watched it and they were a bit muted towards the end, but they said, yeah, it was all right. And then, I don't know, a few days later, like, we're going to watch it again, Dad. And I was like, oh, okay, you must have enjoyed it. And then they've watched it a couple of times since. So it's clearly hit the spot. It also reminds me how much spare time my kids have got to watch films. <laughs> Well, that's fair enough. I, no, it, it's a good film. It's got a couple of sort of the Pixar highlights in there where there's a few nods to the parents, but all kids' films do that these days. But I definitely put it more in the onward camp than in the wall year up camp, frankly. Yeah, I think think that's fair. I think in recent times, I think onward wasn't fantastic. I did quite like Soul. My son, though, my youngest son, he didn't really, I don't think he got it. And it is quite a hard concept for what they're, they're trying to get over there. But I really enjoyed Soul. For me, Luca just, I don't know why, I just loved all of it and thought it was great. And I just remember sitting down with the kids on the couch, curled up, watching it, thoroughly enjoyed it. Turning Red, I thought was okay. Not my favourite one. And then for me, Lightyear, I also love that. So I think, you know, they're, they're hitting them out of the park. None of them I hated and wouldn't watch again. If the kids put it on, I'd happily sit and watch any of those films. No, I mean, that's a fairly, it's an, it's an extremely good point, actually. None of them are terrible films. They're, you know, many of them are great films but none of them are terrible films. And not many studios have that sort of continuous hit rate of putting out good quality films you don't hate time after time. Even Marvel, bless them, put out the odd film you think, well, actually, that wasn't very good at all, was it? So well done, Pixar. Agreed. I mean, Pixar had one major dud, and you may or may not be in agreement, but The Good Dinosaur was very iffy. It just, there must have been issues developing that film. I can't believe they released it, to be honest with you. But everything else, they've they've hit a home run. And they they've managed to cope with ramping up their release cycle because they've been doing a release every six months or so and they've managed to keep the quality. Can they keep that longer? I don't know, but I hope they can. If I get a Pixar movie every six months, I'll be a very happy bunny. 
Yeah, fair enough. If they can keep the quality going and the story is coming, I, I I hesitate to think that they'll always rely on banging out another sequel. I don't want to. I mean, I haven't watched Toy Story four. I don't want to see a Toy Story five. I don't want to see a Cars six. You know, I don't want to see an Incredibles four. Just just because a lot of these properties don't need that level of flogging to death, and there's a sort of shows a dearth of imagination. So I'm glad that they're doing things like Turning Red. I'm glad that they're doing things like Luca. That are original ideas where they're sort of pushing in a new direction. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think they did sort of get Cars 3 to a good end in place. I thought they did with Toy Story 3, to be fair. They wrapped up the story with a bit of a bow. And it is good they've got some fresh stuff. They've got some real talent there all around. Like some of the ideas and the creatives, amazing. Absolutely. Good. So just while I was away, I thought I'd feed back on two films that I did watch with the family that I didn't think I'd ever get them to watch. I don't know if you ever saw The Commitments. So The Commitments is a story of an Irish band in Dublin in the early 90s yeah, the early 90s, who decide they're going to sing Soul. Fantastic music, Mustang Sally and all those kinds of tracks from Wilson Pickett and, and others. Just very working class people from our from Ireland in, in Dublin. The trials and tribulations of getting the band together. Slight sort of full Monty type vibe to it. That sort of working class, you know, coming together to, to do something, to achieve something and, and what happens to them. Just with a great cast of characters. I was really impressed and the kids absolutely loved it. They were gripped by this sort of, and they're normally not into that kind of stuff. Oh, you just want to make us watch another thing, Dad. But no, they thoroughly enjoyed it and it, it was great to watch it again. It's aged extremely well. Just my slight delay, but where I'm running the beat on my iPad, the battery is draining rather quickly. No, I agree. Often when I try and get my children to watch anything, it's just, oh, you just want to watch films you like. And it's like, no, I want you to see a bit of culture and understand references and things. So um, it is tricky and it's part of our jobs as dads to turn our kids out where around it isn't it, i think so no i agree i've not seen the commitments i'm aware of it and it's definitely one i should have watched by now being 40 years old yeah i think it's definitely worth picking up and having a look at so it's, it's a bit of a recommendation for me and there's there was an a cast member in it particularly who's gone on to be in lots and lots of things recently i can't even remember her name but N- natasha mccallany i think her name is who's since been in Picard season one and two, who's been in Orphan Black, who's been in, she's in the new Wheel of Time series. So, you know, from fairly humble beginnings, playing one of the backing singers in, in The Commitments, she's, you haven't seen any of the things I'm talking about, I'm sure. But, you know, she's gone on to have quite a measure of success in America. As, you know, from it's great. You don't get a lot of Irish actors who, who go on to become sort of fairly well fairly well-known household names. No, that's true. And I don't know any of those things. I've heard of Picard, obviously, but I've not seen it. So I don't know who you're talking about. I'm sorry. Fair enough. No, but I'd say watch the commitments. If, if for no other reason to, than to enjoy the music and the fact that the singer, when you go to watch it, was only 17 when they filmed it, because you won't believe it. And what an amazing voice. Good soundtrack. The other thing I made them watch was Good Morning Vietnam, a film with Robin Williams in, a film with Forrest Whitaker in, and others, and still packs as much of a punch today as it did then they didn't get all the references to the 60s i didn't get all the references to the 60s when i first watched it that's for sure what what a talent robin williams was and what a great film it is and they thought just as much of it as i did and you know they were fully gripped and involved with the story they know a little bit about the vietnam war let's face it was it was over before we we came along but yeah what a great film stands the test of time if you haven't seen it go watch it I've seen it. I love it. I'm a big fan of Robin Williams and Forrest Whitaker, so it's definitely my wheelhouse. I think it's a great film. I haven't seen it for a long time, actually, so you may have spurred me on. I think it might be in my iTunes catalogue, so I'm going to go and have a look. Yeah, do. So I, I just thought we, we, we tend to focus on Apple TV Plus and things, but it's quite nice to talk about some sort of old classics and maybe get some recommendations for things that could be watched. You know, having inflicted train spotting and other things on them in the past, they're old enough for that now. Yours aren't. It, it's It's good to have 
particular well, particularly with the commitments, that sort of British and Irish cinema bent to things because it's far too easy to get overwhelmed with the next Hollywood blockbuster or, or the next thing that's coming out of those things. So it's really nice to to have a film monty or a train spotting or a commitments or something like that just to really show what's going on. Yeah, and it's it's good just to see just films that aren't all CGI. You know, it's good to go and see some classics. I have got it in my iTunes catalogue, so I will line it up. Good for you. Brilliant. I think that'll do it for media, Chris. Yeah, definitely. Should we move on to games? So games, I just thought I'd include, I finally completed Gran Turismo 7. I got to the 39th coffee menu book. I did it. It, it was a good end to the the to get the credits. I was going to say the story, but it's not really a story, is it? But it was a good end because it was hard. It was well done. I thought I had the right level of difficulty. Really enjoyed it. There are a lot of people that made that game. It kind of makes me appreciate the £70 price tag on it. But what a game. It's stunning. Loved racing. It's made me kind of want to go and buy the Formula 1 game that's just come out, which is also 70 quid. I love a bit of Formula 1. So no, awesome. Generally enjoyed it. I haven't played it since. I thought I might go back and do a few more coffee books and various other bits have been released because they do seem to keep updating the game. Yeah, I, I felt quite satisfied once I'd done it. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. When I finished it, I felt the same. I haven't felt compelled to go back since they've added the other coffee books particularly because I thought, I've done it now. I sat and watched the credits. Yeah, you're right, there are a lot. Of, it takes a lot of people to make a AAA game. It's an amazing game though. The soundtrack, all the menus, the music, the replays, the textures, the you know, mapping the cars, mapping the tracks. It's stunning. I'm, the only I'm, thing I did think when I was trying to do it and I they could do is just speeding up a little bit of the menu interaction and it's always been like that in previous gts but just i don't need to see a replay every time can i just turn that feature off kind of thing yeah Sorry. that that no 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 you're you're right to do so that uh, the two things i turned off instantly were the in-game music of the twinkly twinkly jazz piano i absolutely hate jazz piano it, it almost spoils the game to me and i know that the director yamaguchi i think i think his name is Loves, I think he may be a jazz pianist for, for the pieces he picks, frankly. It drives me crazy. I can't listen to it. And the in-game soundtrack, when you've heard that song for the nth time, and I've always felt like this in Gran Turismo games, I can't deal with it anymore. So that goes off for me. I'm quite happy to listen to the engine noise. I don't need to have pounding music or not pounding music quite a lot of the time over the top of it. But other than that, yeah, high quality game. Do you know what I did actually? On some of them, I did turn off the music in the game and just put my, AirPod, my AirPods, my HomePods on there in the same room and just had some music coming out there. I think, certainly in the last version of Gran Turismo, you could get it to pull from your Spotify library. So it would play your music over the top of whatever you were listening to anyway. That's quite cool, but I don't know what Spotify is. No, but Apple Music's on the PlayStation now, so maybe it would do the same thing. Neat. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a simple thing to do. Good, I'm glad you finished it. And it, it's, I mean, as you say, you're getting a return on your investment if they continue to up the, update the game, and they do seem to be doing that. And it's quite good for somebody, let's say with the new PlayStation tiers that you're talking about, Gran Turismo becomes available they get a fresher game than the one that we bought six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago. And that, if that's continually updated until Gran Turismo 8 comes out, great, all power to them, respect. As long as they're not nickel and diming us trying to make us buy cars and, and upgrades all the time, they do that a little bit. That's acceptable. This reach by more credits, don't they? They really so, do. Which, which I've avoided. I've just raced until I have enough. But no, I really enjoyed it. The only thing, I, my only complaint will be, every time I get roulette, I always get the worst price. And it didn't feel like roulette. Yeah, it's not a very random algorithm, that, just to get your extra money. It's the smallest amount of money. It's never the car. Yep, agreed. 
Good. A little bit of feedback on games for me, because obviously I've been on holiday, I haven't done that much gaming, but one thing sitting around in airports and planes lets you do is, if you've got your laptop with you, is mess around a little bit with your phones or your games and just to see what's around. I didn't take an iPad. I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't take an iPad. I did take my laptop. You took a laptop? A whole laptop? I had one day where I had meetings I couldn't get out of, so I needed my laptop with me. Oh, bad days. Bad days. So, But on the flip side, I had one day, I had to, so I had to take my laptop for it, for it. So I installed a couple of things from Steam before I went. The one game you've got to have, Slay the Spire, which I know you love and can't stop playing. You certainly tried it once, that's for sure, which I was happily playing away. And an average game of that can take 40 minutes if you're paying attention to it. So on a two and a half hour flight, you know, two games of that, you're done. Unfortunately... It crashed halfway through halfway through through the flight, and I couldn't get it to relaunch. It just it would it's I think it's ultimately some sort of Java based launcher on the on the Mac, and it just spun and it would launch and die. And I tried various things to get it working in, and it didn't. So I was kind of knackered with that, which was a shame. But it, that's not good, is it? Should have taken the iPad version. Yeah, well, maybe it would have kept running. But it did mean I was forced to play Crusader Kings three, which is a game I bought I don't know two and a half years ago, three years ago, something like that. Maybe not quite as long ago as that. Which is the most complex looking thing I've ever seen. And the, I'll tell you the premise of the game, if I haven't mentioned it before. You start as a medieval lord in the tutorial in Ireland, in the county of Desmond in Ireland. And the idea is you got to get married and have children and wage war and take part in all the various things that were going on and the intrigue around the world as it's going on in the time. And you can do that by sort of marrying into a, a rival feudal lord or making alliances with somebody in Italy or however you want to do it. And the game keeps going as long as you've got heirs. So if you get married and have a son or a daughter, and you've got the right kind of lineage, because this is medieval times, when your character dies, you transfer on to the next one. Which is a... a yeah, yeah, it's quite an interesting take, actually. Sorry, I was just loading up, up the link to Steam just to see, see a bit what it looked like, because it sounds quite complicated and potentially never-ending. Yeah, well, it does have to end, I think, because it's only during the, you know, the, the Crusader period of the various kings in Europe. But it's really well done. And, it, you know, it's Crusader Kings 3. They've had time to think about it. And it's extremely well reviewed. It's over sort of 90% in most gaming magazines and things like that. And, and review sites and YouTube. And everybody seems to like it. But I've always been put off by the tutorial. Because the tutorial takes 45 to 50 minutes just to do the tutorial. So it teaches you, you know, he's a, here's what the feudal titles are. Here's what the counties are. Here's what a duchy is. Here's what an earl is. Here's how you get your son married. Here's how you get married. Here's how you can bribe people. You've got advisors. You've got bishops. You've got this, that, and the other thing. And it's very, 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 very detailed. So I've always found that quite off-putting. I get to the point of, okay, I need to bribe some advisor to do something in the tutorial. I'm like, no, I'm out. I'm done. All in very little text, which having my glasses on can be, can be challenging. But I stuck with the tutorial. I got to the end this time. I was, I'm, I was actually into it by the end of it. And then the flight landed. But, you know, yeah, quite impressed. Uh, sounds good. It's probably a game I would have gone for when I was a bit younger, but I do not have much patience for a tutorial. I'm not like, right, come on, I just want to get on with it, but you probably do need to do it so that you understand the mechanics, but it's a long tutorial. It is a long tutorial, but it's a big game, and you think you start with something fairly predictable, County in Ireland, not a lot going along, not a lot worse, and it vaguely models history, so you know the big events, the Crusades and all the rest of it are going to happen over the course of the game. But you, you can impact history in your own little way by, you know, taking over bigger counties, having vassal lords, doing all sorts of stuff. So again, I was really impressed with it. And I will, I hope, come back and actually play it. Now I'm not on holiday and I've got not looking for things to do quite so much and I've got a busy couple of weeks coming up. Yeah, it's there and I think I will revisit it this time, but it's definitely not one for an iPad. It's one for a bigger screen where you can see what's going on. Yeah, and I do get it in some of these games you want a mouse pointer. 
to, to click around. We've been playing Capone and Conquer with the kids on their laptop and it, you just need a mouse pointer for that game. It just wouldn't work without it. Yeah, that, that sort of real-time strategy game, like Command & Conquer or Northgard or one of those, uh, you, you need a mouse and a keyboard's helpful too, frankly. You could probably get away with it with an iPad with a, you know, uh, a mouse pointer and, a, and the keyboard, but it would take a little more design. And you can't, as a games designer, you can't rely on that for an iPad user to have the, the, the iPad with the keyboard and, and the mouse and the trackpad. So yeah, I see why they don't. Well, in some ways, though, they should be able to mandate you need a keyboard attached to play it or you need a games controller. You know, they... The Apple have never done that. You've got to make it work without. I don't know. I don't think that's right. Yep, good. So I think that'll do us for games. Uh, more sort of feedback and experience and one recommendation for Crusader Kings, if you like that kind of thing. But yeah, oh, I have actually one other little bit of news. My Steam Deck, I had the email while I was on holiday to make the purchase. So I did the reservation, well, well over a year ago now. I wasn't inside the first day. I think I was within 26 hours of the of thing going live. And they're starting to ship them out. I think there was a UK batch. They send emails on Thursdays and Tuesdays, I think, to say that there's new Steam Decks available and they've increased production. I had two days to fulfill and pay for my Steam Deck and I got a notification about two hours ago that it's going to ship. So maybe by next week, certainly the week after, I should have a Steam Deck to report back on, back on as well. Awesome. So ironically today, I was giving the Steam Deck a bit of the side eye because for whatever reason, I ended up on the Steam store. I was looking at Age of Empires 2 and some of the Command & Conquer games and just having a click around. And I saw the Steam Deck and I thought, oh, a little tempted. I haven't reserved one, but when it said it could come this year, I was thinking, oh, I'd be a little bit tempted. I think if you're even a little bit tempted, put four quid down because that's all it is to, to reserve one. And you can always pass up the email when it comes along if you don't think you're in the right place for it. And frankly, given the demand at the moment, I don't think if you didn't like it and wanted to move it on, I think you'd do quite well in moving it on. But it's just a compelling little device. A PC the size of a, well, the size of a Nintendo Switch, mostly, a little bit larger maybe, that can play the almost the entire back catalogue of what's in your Steam library. Yeah, it's it's quite a, quite a sales point, that. That's why I was looking at it. I'd like a bit of retro games, but... I wonder if I'm better just sticking because some of the games I like are mouse and keyboard based games because most things without mouse and keyboard I play on my PlayStation or my iPad. So I wonder actually, should I just stick with my laptop? But you can just plug in a mouse. It's a some thought. More thought required. <laughs> Have a think about it anyway. So, anyway, no matter what, I can feedback on how reliable it is, what it's like. Because, again, the reason I installed Linux a few weeks back is just to see what Linux performance was like with Steam because I'm very used to Windows, which still crashes from time to time. And the majority of games I've tried on in Linux on Steam work. So I'm anticipating the Steam Deck, which is more optimized for it, will be even better again. Yeah, my understanding is they've done loads of work on the games. They've done loads of work on, I was going to say the firmware or the operating system on the Steam Deck. So it seems like they're iterating over it. It's looking good. I'm quite excited to see where they go with it. Incoming soon, I hope. Certainly the purchasing experience was relatively straightforward. You know, They took my money, that was for sure. And a couple of days later, I got a shipping email, so we'll see where it goes. I've already got my Parcel Force ID, even though it's still in America, so there we go. At least it's coming. You're going to beat my play date. <laughs> I don't think that was ever in doubt. Good. Okay, that's games. Main show, which I think will be a relatively short main show, because for obvious reasons, neither of us have had 100% time to, to develop lots of topics. But I have, in the last week, received my 16-inch M1 MacBook Pro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I thought when it came to... It looks nice. It, I... I do like the look of the Mac. So I know I don't use a Mac, 
but I generally like the, the design aesthetic that they're doing. What do you think about it? What were your first impressions? So a little more detail. It's a 16-inch 2021 model. Obviously, it's an M1 Pro chip that's in it. It has 16 gigs of RAM. I didn't need more than that. It has a one terabyte hard disk. I think prioritizing storage over memory. I know 16 gigs is enough for my experience of the M1. So that's the base specs of the thing. I would have probably gone with a similar spec if I was using it myself because I, I wouldn't need any more than that. So I'm really interested in it though because if I was doing development or using Mac full-time, I'd be very tempted with that device. Yep. I, I thought I'd give a 16 a try. My last few have all been 13s. 13s going back as far as I can remember, actually. I think my only non-13 device recently would have been a MacBook Air. I had an 11-inch MacBook Air. I don't even remember when. So yeah. Oh, they, stopped ma- they stopped making that four or five years ago i used to have macbook 11 inch macbook airs as well and i love the 11 inch because it was really expandable yeah it was the portability i wanted at that point whereas covid and everything has i'm less portable and i want more of a desktop machine with a nice screen even though i plug is it that because you put on covid weight oh definitely definitely i'm gonna hulk myself for and i can hulk something else so yeah the screen the screen is the most compelling thing about it the size of it is 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 something you know when it, when i took it out of the box i was like this is a weighty, large laptop, and it does feel well-made. Apple laptops generally feel well-made, but it does feel like a fairly solid device. Uh, the screen is vast. You know, The fact that it's a 16-inch screen, and I've been looking at 13-inch screens, I feel like I've got an awful lot more real estate than I did in a 13-inch screen. Fire up Xcode, or you fire up Logic, or something like that, and, to just, and the amount of pal- pallets and, and things you can have open doing it is just amazing. It's silky smooth. You can see for the apps that are optimized to it, the ProRes thing works really well as well. I haven't, because I don't have any, got any HDR media to test out what the brightness is like in terms of nits and things like that. So I need to find something from somewhere where I can test it. Okay, so a couple of things in. So my understanding is I think the M1 Pro Max chips and Ultra have the codecs or whatever they have in them to make ProRes quicker, which they've now put in the base M2 chip. So side bit there. The recording of HDR content, can you not just record something on your iPhone? if memory serves, because I think I've, when I've heard people review this before, that's what, that's what they'd be doing. It sounds like your experience was like when I got my iPhone 12 Pro Max from a, I think I don't know, 11 before it. It was like, whoa, this is quite a bit bigger. Am I going to want to carry this around? And then it's like, oh, but it's a big screen. And so I can definitely see the appeal of it. And like you say, you're, you're probably not traveling around the, with the country slash world as much as you were. I guess we are doing a bit more in more recent months than we were last year. But I guess will you be more productive though when you when you're working because you you can do more on the screen. Definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can work on a 13 inch. It's not a problem. But I always felt. Do you ever feel like a little constrained by what it is? I just I just need a little bit more here and a little bit more there. And I haven't felt like this when I've been using it. I've been using it pretty much open without a monitor attached all day today, for work purposes. And it's been brand new. It really has been an excellent experience. And just a little more screen follow up. This has a notch. I have barely noticed the fact that it's got a notch. As we're tra- as we're chatting tonight, I've got the camera on, so the little green light's looking at me. That's the first time I've actually noticed the notch all day today. I, it's just, I don't know if it's, I've, I've got blindness to it because I'm used to having it on phones and things like that, but I just paid no attention to the fact it's got a notch. I just noticed the extra screen real estate. Yeah, I, th- I think the notch, whoever invented the notch, he or she came up with an amazing design because when, even when you had it on your iPhone to begin with, it just became invisible the way the the screen just went around the notch it was so well done i'm not crazy on the notch look just generally but i think when you're using it you're right you're so immersed in the content do you run it in light mode or dark mode because I, 
Am I right saying dark mode? It has a black bar at the top. I can't remember. Yeah, it does. So I'm I'm probably some sort of philistine for this. I let it auto switch. So when it gets to a particular point in the night, it flips over into dark, which I'm quite happy with. I don't like running dark mode all the time. You know, some things don't never look right in dark mode. So, you know, like some word processors, for example, when they flip from uh, dark to light, they leave a white piece of paper in front of your eyes, and I don't like the sort of change in contrast all the time. So I like I like to let it auto flip. Yeah, I I can see that. And do you know what? Sometimes I just switch it on and off just to just to change, have a change because sometimes a change as they say is as good as a rest so what do you think of the keyboard the the design because you've got the nice new keyboard on it without the touch bar is is that good i don't miss the touch bar in the slightest it's nice to have physical buttons back and i wasn't a massive touch bar hater i could see some benefits for the touch bar i quite like the sort of fine grain control it would give you with the volume and the brightness and things like that i haven't missed it for a second in fact i haven't even thought about it till you asked me the question I've just accepted that there's buttons there and I've got on with it. Typing on it, it's a really nice keyboard. It feels very firm, very positive. It's just clicky enough. I've got a couple of keyboards in front of me here. In fact, I've got, including the MacBook, I've got four. I've got a Logitech MX keys. I've got an Apple non-extended keyboard, sort of the old-fashioned, you know, uh, one that was there. And I've got a very fancy 10 keyless gaming clicky keyboard, which was a lot of money, actually. I don't know if the clicks come over well on the microphone, but... So, I've, you know, I've got some thoughts about keyboards. And this is as good, frankly, as, as all of them. It's it's nice and responsive. I can type the way I want to do. The buttons are exactly where I expect them to be. It's a good keyboard. It does look good. Like I said, I've had to go in the shops briefly on, on both of them. And I, and I love the design. I love how they've just tweaked the design. So if you know what you're looking for, you can spot the Silicon MacBook Pro outside of a regular one. I always like the big trackpads on them because I've obviously got the Magic case thing on my ipad and it's got a tiny trackpad and i would kill for something a bit bigger so i'm impressed with that and then what do you think about having all the ports did you use many of the ports or you just plugged in one USB-C cable to your dock just on the trackpad i think this is bigger than ever on, on this particular model the fact that it's a 16 inch computer already makes it look gigantic but i think it's an even bigger trackpad than the ones i've had and i haven't noticed any accidental motion of it when i've been typing on the keyboard so once again they've got that you know ignoring your wrists or they got to sort of glance over it while you're typing really well on the trackpad but apple have been good at that for years and it, every so often it, you when we talk about things like it reminds me that there's no physical function on this anymore the haptics when you click uh, on these trackpads are, are just incredible and i haven't thought about there not being a mechanical switch in the trackpad for years now so even through the sort of the butterfly keyboard years they, are, they had the trackpads down and the fact that making them bigger is no problem for me at all. It does look a bit weird when you compare them to some Windows laptops though, I've got to say. Ports. So I have had a number of USB-C things plugged into it. The Rode microphones are, I mentioned earlier, for example, charge off USB-C and I was, I was curious to see if the MacBook would pick them up as USB-C devices. It didn't, annoyingly, despite what YouTube says. But I've had a number of things plugged into the USB-C things. It's charged. It's, with the exception of that, everything I've plugged in has worked and been recognised. I haven't even connected the MagSafe connector to it yet because I've had no reason to because I plug everything in with USB-C. But I do have it here. I really appreciate the braided cable. That's very nice. Yeah, they should braid everything. Yeah, braid all of the things. I haven't plugged anything to HDMI because of USB-C, but it's nice to have it. It's just another thing I don't need to worry about when I rock up to some projector somewhere. They'll always get HDMI these days. I've got it. I don't need to remember the dongle for that. And that is that's gold. Yeah, I agree with that. Just a note on the braided cables. I did see somebody post ages ago on Twitter. Forgive me, I can't remember who to credit to. But they said the one thing that their HomePod gave us, the original HomePod, was braided cables because that was the first Apple device 
to debut with a braided cable and they're right it, they should braid all the cables are so much better and i hope they will and i think i think they gather so the, the really important question is what color did you get so it's it's the gunmetal space gray color again i wanted silver but I, 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 that wasn't in stock so i went for what was available so i've once again gone for a dark gray laptop and i do quite like the dark gray laptop but the reason I asked is because obviously the MagSafe isn't color coded on these ones. So your two and a half grand laptop in the UK isn't color coded. But if you bought the, well, not that you can at the moment, buy the M2 Air, that will come with color coded cables. I wonder what, what that was. It'd be interesting to know the backstory on that because normally Apple's really good at this sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to know. Yeah, it sort of follows the M1 iMax, doesn't it? Because they came with color coded braided cables for the MagSafe connectors in the back of them. So I just, maybe they went, ah, actually, people like colours. People like the colours to match. So great, let's have it. And is the Touch ID any different on this? Because I know it's a different button than what you have on the Touch Bar, but is it actually any different other than the shape of where you put your finger? It's a much bigger button. So the, the shape of the button, is, which does make it feel a little bit different. I don't know if it's any more accurate than the last one, because I think they've had Touch ID down for a, for a long time. The actual button itself looks very similar to the new Magic Keyboards with Touch ID. It's the same sort of size of button, I think. No, it's a good button. It's there. It's where I expect it to be. I'm never very sure when I press them whether you're just going to rest your finger on them or push them down hard, which is something that always gets me about Touch ID buttons. I have had to use it a couple of times. For the podcast tonight, I had to reinstall Audio Hijack, which I think I touched on last time is the most convoluted process ever if you need something that needs kernel-level access. You need to get the installer, download it, go in the system preferences, say, I want to change my kernel level. I want to escalate the kernel level. Ask for a password to make sure you want to do that. Ask for a password to say, now I'm going to restart. You need to hold down lightly on the Touch ID button when it starts up. It boots you into the kernel mode. You need to put in your password once to get into it, again to go into unlock the hard disk, change the level of security on the kernel, reboot it, go back into system settings, confirm you still want to do it, reboot it again, and at that point I was able to install Audio Hijack. So there was a lot of Touch ID use in that, both in and out of it, and it all worked pretty well every time. Although, it's nice to have it, but if you wear an Apple Watch as well, often your Apple Watch is pinging going, just un unlock it with this, rather than actually reach up for the Touch ID button. So I find that a little, you know, it's, it's a bit of cognitive dissonance for which one do you do first. Yeah, so I noticed that on my Mac Mini, because I did buy a keyboard with the sensor on it, which I quite like, and then actually it's quite nice on your wrist as well, but... I think if I was programming all day on it, I'd probably use the keyboard more because you don't want to re reach over to your wrist. What, what do you think about the feet? Because you've got more pronounced feet on it. Have you noticed? Uh, only when I pick it up. You know, when, when, I, when my hands are running across the bottom of it, I notice it's got large feet. Other than that, I've given it no thought at all. Both at home and at work, I've got a laptop stand. So they're elevated off the desk, sort of angled towards me a little bit. So I'm not looking at the feet a lot of time. It's, 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 it's off the desk. I'm not thinking about it. No problem. I do like the embossed MacBook Pro on the base of the case. That's a really nice little feature. I like it a lot. I was going to ask about it because it was a bit mixed when it came out. People were a bit umming and ahhing about it. Okay. Have you tried a spatial audio on it at all? Because I believe the six speakers it's got will do spatial audio. Something to try out. Yeah, I think that might have to go into the homework section for, for me for my next week. I should maybe flip to the microphone on the MacBook Pro so you can hear it, but I haven't really listened to the speakers because I plug it into an external thing. So I'll get up nice and close to my my nice Rode microphone here and I'll say, here are the speakers. Here is the, mic the Rode microphone when I talk on it and I'll very quickly flip if it'll let me. I'm not sure Audio Hijack will let me flip to it, but... And here is the MacBook Pro. Yeah, that worked okay. 
Sandy Roy? Well, I'll flip back to the other one then. So, yeah, I mean, they, they say they're studio quality microphones. I'll, I'll let listeners be the judge and you be the judge of it. But maybe I don't need my posh uh, Rode microphone. I can just record it all straight off there. I'm assuming it'll be better at noise and cancellation and more focused. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe, maybe we should do a whole podcast off it for a week. Maybe. Or if I just keep doing the corporate Zoom calls, everybody I work with will go, you sound amazing. <laughs> You never know. And what don't you, is there anything you don't like about the hardware? It's large. And again, I think I said at the top, I'll say at the bottom, it's large. And adjusting my brain to such a large thing. What we touched on before about playing games, I took the old laptop. The new laptop would have been a real struggle. On a Jet 2 plane, fitting it on an airplane seat with the fact you don't even get tables that extend out towards you on some of the more budget airlines. The screen of the M1 on my lap was hard up against the shelf where, where all the various cards and things go because you don't actually get a pocket anymore. You just get a thing that it falls through. So the top of the screen was under that. I don't think I'd have been able to use such a big laptop on a plane. Yeah, I've, I've not been on a plane for a long time, but whenever I've been, it's always in the cheap seats and you don't get a lot of space. No, you don't. Trains, I think, is going to be no problem at all. It's not a massive thing in a train anyway, but you can f- generally find enough angle, you've got enough space in between you that it's that, that's going to be fine. So with the exception of planes, unless you've got air travel in mind, in which case you should probably have an iPad anyway because the battery's you know, pretty much what you want to do. You know, the, What you're looking for on that sort of device is going to be for reading or it's a sort of very focused writing. And I actually think, for once, I think an iPad might be a better device there. Yeah, so yeah, other than the sheer scale of the thing, I'm I'm really impressed so far. I'd agree the iPad is a better device. I've just noticed actually the headphone jacks on the left-hand side. I thought they were, there was a big uproar because it should be on the right because you're on your headphones, the cable's on the right, but there you go. But yours on the left, which is... On my headphones, the cable's on the left. So it's fine for this set of headphones that I'm wearing now. I have found it a little bit odd because like I say, I use external speakers. So I've plugged the external speakers into it at work there today. And I did find it a bit odd with the two USB-Cs and then the, the headphone connector, the three and a half inch connector on that side. On the right-hand side, you've got an SD card slot, you've got another USB-C slot, and you've got the HDMI at the back of the laptop. So it is a bit odd. I I keep going to the right-hand side to plug things into it. It's not the end of the world. It just makes the left-hand side of it look a little bit untidy, really. Well, through various reasons, I didn't take the MagSafe with me to work today. I didn't really have it plugged in, particularly other than to an external screen that doesn't support charging. So the battery's been discharging all day. I went into work with 84% in the battery. I used it all day. I used it pretty hard all day. In fact, I've had a busy day at work with lots of things going on. I came home with 67%. Williams, you didn't have range anxiety then? None whatsoever. And in fact, and I now wonder why I plugged the thing in at all. Because I, I mean, it, it barely moved. Every so often I'd look at it and I'd click on it. And you know, it gives you the apps using significant energy. I've had Pixelmator Pro running. I've been doing pot, I've been doing Zoom calls. I've had Excel doing sort of various things. I've remote desktop. I've had virtual things at VMware Horizons going. I've been typing stuff in Markdown. You know, I've I've used it an awful lot today. Developed designed a new thing in Keynote as well, which has involved a lot of research back and forth on the internet. So I hammered it. It's not like it was taking it particularly easy, and it barely moved. No apps using significant energy. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it runs very cool too. I, I do like that. I do think it's a cracking bit of hardware. 
Yeah, I'm certainly interested in it. And uh, what do you think of promotion? Because this is your first device with promotion. Your well, first my, Mac? my phone's got promotion. So I, and to be honest, I'm not normally that good at noticing that kind of stuff. I notice it in games because I'm paying a lot of attention to it, but not generally when it's sort of everyday use. I, I have noticed it a little bit, but I also flip to using another browser. So, you know, if you spend a lot of time in the browser, maybe it looks a little bit more juddery. I, I think I need more time with it. And I probably need to go back to another Mac, actually, that doesn't support it. And then I'll spot the difference. It's, it is a beautiful screen, though. I mean, it, what do they call it? Liquid LED? I think that's... Liquid... Re- oh, I had this up. Sorry. XDR, isn't it? Liquid Retina XDR yeah. display. It is gorgeous. It's very bright. It's very fluid. Animations and, and everything just, you know, there's never a hitch, never a problem. It is a beautiful display. It's probably the nicest display I've seen on anything, frankly. So I'm really impressed with it. But again, to give a proper answer to that question, A, I want some content that sort of really pushes a little bit, and B, I need to go to another Mac and sort of compare left to right. You mentioned about other web browsers. Does Chrome and other web browsers support promotion or is it just safari i don't know the answer to that question either it's a, it's a good time to divert as to why i've been trying other web browsers so search is a big thing and we've talked before about our issues with google search and sort of tracking and, and all that kind of stuff so brave the browser which is a, a an open source ish spin-off of chrome so it uses the same underlying engine as chrome have actually developed their own search engine that doesn't have the trackers that even DuckDuckGo has got so DuckDuckDo got into a lot of scandal recently with the fact that actually your search history was being referred back to Microsoft because they use Bing as their underlying search engine, which is a real sort of knock for DuckDuckGo because they were sort of seen as champions of privacy for a long, long time. So Brave have built their own one, and it's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's surprisingly good. It's certainly better than DuckDuckGo. Might be better than Google, I haven't decided yet. So I've been dogfooding Brave for, for the last, well, two and a half days that I've been making use of the laptop since I've been back from holiday, really. It's found everything I've asked it to. I haven't seen any ads at all that it triggers my internal Raspberry Pi ad blocker. None of that has come up. I can click on the top link and it's been what I've been looking for almost every time. So I thought I'd stick with Brave for a little bit and see how I get on. So there's another little bit of homework for me to see if it does support the high-res, pro-res display in Brave. But it's been a nice experience using it so far. So, So for clarity though, Brave is both a search engine and a web browser. Yeah. So if you go to the URL bar at the top, as most of us do to Google or, or, or Bing or whatever, whatever search or DuckDuckGo that you use, because very few of us type Google into a browser and then go to Google from there, you tend to just search in the thing at the top, it will go to Brave's own internal search engine. You can go to Google, obviously, or you can set another default search engine if you want to. But as default, it uses Brave's own search engine to search. And I've just been really impressed with it. Okay. So I'm sorry, I was just having a look. So one, on iOS, you can't set Brave to be your search engine in Safari. Two, you can buy the app. It does have in-app purchases because you can buy it with a VPN as well and a firewall, which is interesting. I've heard of it, but I've not really given it a, a look, if that makes sense. So so I'm interested to do so. Well, the Chrome engine has kind of become the dominant engine for web browsers. Other than Safari is probably a fairly close number two because of the amount of iOS devices that it runs on as well. Certainly in our web statistics at work, Safari is the most popular browser for, for within our user base, and then very quickly it's Chrome. And even even Internet Explorer, or Edge as it is these days, now makes use of the Chrome engines for its rendering. So it's kind of become the dominant platform. And occasionally you'll hit a website in Safari, probably less than an iPad, but you know when I'm using Safari on the Mac or I'm using it on my phone, I occasionally get a website that struggles a little bit, chokes a little bit on a particular aspect. And you have to go down, and I had been dropping down to Chrome. 
But again, I thought, well, Google gets enough stuff about me without having my entire search history as well, so let's try one of these alternatives. I'd read some stuff about Brave and their privacy protecting and some of the other bits and pieces that they have as well, so I thought, I'll give it a go. I, I really am extremely impressed so far. And when I come back to the, you know, the battery from earlier, no apps using significant energy. I mean, you're always told use Safari because it's the one that Apple have made, it works best with the laptop and all the rest of it. I haven't seen it take a performance hit and I've been using it all day, so... Wow, okay, that's interesting. So I was just looking at Brave. Like I said, I don't know a lot about it. I wonder if Apple will allow you to add that to iOS at some point, like they did with DuckDuckGo. Yeah, it would be interesting to see it. I mean, I don't know what's in it for Brave. I remember it was a podcaster called Jason Calacanis back in the day who came up with a search engine called Mahalo. And he said a percent of the search industry then, and I guess that's 13 years ago now, was a billion dollars. So if you even get a small percentage of the search business, that's the kind of money you're talking about for, you know, presumably from advertisers. So I'm not sure what Brave's getting from it. But that sort of domination in search, is, you can see why, you know, browser makers get into it and you can see why it's such a big deal for Google that it is the default engine for Firefox and it is the default engine for Safari. So I, I quite like challenging that from time to time to see what else is out there. Because let's face it, it's an advertising platform. Hey, we're a duck that go house here. Even my wife and I, I've set everybody up. Duck that go is the default job done. We've been like that for years. I don't do any Google products. It's laudable, you know. It's laudable in these days not to do Google. So I, I do admire that. I, I'd, I'd struggle. There's a few things I do like, like YouTube, for example. We're definitely getting off topic slightly, but for YouTube, for example, is something that I, uh, I, I couldn't live without. I don't think. I think. I do browse some YouTube vids, like I do, like I'm. MKBHD, obviously, a bit of CGP Grey, a few car reviews, but I don't log into it. I don't do much with it. I just go and look at a couple of channels, but there's very little eyebrows on it. It's, I just go more for specific people on there, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. And I, I get both sides of it. I mean, if you're an Android phone user particularly, you're, you may as well be all in, you know, because they, they make the whole widget, they make the search engine, they do the mail, they do all the various bits and pieces in YouTube and, and probably your music as well at that point. So... Go all in. And, you know, that's fine. I think most people, no, some people know what they're getting into when, when you get into that. They understand that, you know, you are the product in, in that scenario, even though you've paid for the phone. But there's enough convenience in the products for me that most of the time I can cope with it. I, I, I've been a Gmail user since I think even when it was a beta thing, I got invited into it. So I've been, it's been my primary email address for my personal email for lots of years. And I like the fact I don't see spam. I like the way it organizes email. I've got used to the way that it works. But every so often I get a niggling thing pops up in my head. So, well, you've really given them a lot of information, aren't you? Is this, do you really want to be doing this? Particularly with the privacy focus that Apple sort of gives you. Yeah, I've, I've been all in on Apple for so long now. And I agree with you. I think if I had an Android phone, like I'm all in on Apple, I'd be all in on Google, I'm sure. But I've just never have. I've never used Android. You know, I've just never had any desire to. I'm quite happy. So I, I don't know why I've always been anti-Google. I can't explain it. It's a reasonable position. I got no problem with people around to Google. I understand it. And occasionally I think I need to escape from this. But it's it's a major move to do it. And I genuinely don't think that there's some aspects of it I couldn't escape from. YouTube probably being one. If I tried hard enough, probably good. But it's a decent chunk of my entertainment for things I'm interested in. If you want to find out how to do a thing, well, you know, you often find it on YouTube. So, you know. Don't get me wrong. YouTube is amazing. It, the amount of content on it that you can get no matter what you're into, I think it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I think we finished on a good philosophical philosophical discussion after our uh, probing questions on the MacBook Pro. So that was that was good. No, it was good, and I, I love a bit of hardware. I like 
I like playing with new hardware. Like I said, it's not a device for me, but still super interesting. It. Yeah, it's good. And hopefully soon we'll have a Steam Deck to talk about as well and maybe soon a play date, you never know. Well, apparently I'm in the batch that's now shipping. I just don't know how long it takes them to ship the next 10,000. So they've shipped 10,000, now doing the second 10,000. And unlike Steam, they took my money up front. Wow. Well, you know, fair enough. They're, they're a different scale of company to Valve, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they're tiny in comparison panic. So I, I was fine with them taking my money up front. I knew what I was getting into, so just got to wait. I don't do a lot of pre-orders, so it's it's an interesting time for me. I will admit, I did go off and look. I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about getting their playdates. And that actually sounds a lot of fun. I like the thought of them delivering a season of games and playing with it. I think we've talked about it before. But when I got to the point where I tried to buy it, and it accepted Apple Pay, and I clicked it, and it would never accept my Apple Pay. And I don't know if it's because it was in the UK when I was doing it, and I wanted my card to hand. But I just, I could, and I thought, oh, you've lost me for a bit. I might revisit this down the line. I might wait for your review too, actually. But that, I found that quite annoying. When I first tried to buy it on the day of launch, they were having issues. I believe it's all fixed. Obviously, my order's gone through. But there was issues with the UK. Hmm. Okay, so maybe they haven't fixed the issues with the UK yet. That is interesting. It's Actually, there was a little topic that we should probably have discussed earlier about this buy now, pay later thing with Apple. And sort of, you know, it relates to the experience I had last week with Apex Legends taking my £10 off me and then sort of having no follow-up to it, is Apple is becoming a bank. What happens when you have a dispute for serious amounts of money? So, if you know, Apple Pay is so convenient to spend £200, £300, £400 on. Generally, I've used it for shopping and things like that. Marks and Spencers, Tesco, wherever wherever you go to buy something. So you don't have that immediate feedback. But if I had a serious consumer problem, like I bought flights, for example, using Apple Pay, with my credit card provider or my debit card provider, I can go to the bank and I've got a recourse. I can get that back. I genuinely don't know how that would work with an Apple card. I've no idea. I don't know. And I use Apple Pay all the time. I even use it on a parking app to pay for a car park in my local village. And it pops up the other day, you, go, you need to add a card. And I was like, I don't need to add a card because I always use Apple Pay. But Part of me was like, oh, should I just add a card just to get rid of that annoying prompt? Because normally you're, you're buying car parking in a rush because you're trying to get somewhere. But I, I love Apple Pay. I do use it all the time. I've not generally had a bad experience, but that could happen at some point. And I do share your concerns of, oh, shit, how would you deal with it? Yeah, I, I, at the moment it's measured. And I, I suspect that's where this conversation is coming from or going to. That there's a line of comfort when I'm buying some things that Apple Pay is a no-brainer to me. It's so convenient. It's just there. I want that product now. I'm probably not going to send it back. I'm not going to have an issue with the order, etc., etc. But it's the thought of tickets or something that you might want to claim a warranty on or you receive something defective. So let's say the play date comes and you know it's broken and they refuse to take it back. With a credit card or a debit card, you go to your bank and go, I've received broken products and they'll refund you and take it up with the, with the seller. With Apple Pay, I don't know if you've got the same recourse. I've, yeah, I'm sorry, no idea. But then Apple Pay is just using your debit credit card. So I don't know, would that, do you just go to the actual bank? Because whilst Apple are getting like a bank, they aren't the bank in this scenario, are they? Sure, in this particular scenario, but at the point where they are paying the vendor for these four installments of Buy Now, Pay Later with Apple's card, aren't they the bank? I suspect they probably are. Anyway, that yeah. is, it's a topic for another day. I just thought, yeah, it, yeah I it, don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment. Anyway, we've done, we've gone very long. We've, we've, we're, you know, we've done well over an hour. So I think we can call it a show of that. Yep, I think so, mate. It was good. It's great to catch up. And look, if anybody out there wants to drop us a line, just email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter. We are WFS underscore podcast. And we'll see you next week. Fantastic. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.